Hi, this is Steve Scott, producer of Safari Hunters Journal. You're listening to Outdoors with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Racks, offering the coolest bow hanger on the market. Display your bow with pride in your house, your garage, or anywhere you'd like. We carry most major brands while also offering a custom service if you have an idea or logo of your own that you'd like made into a hanger. Use them to display your traditional bow, compound bow, or even your crossbow. They also work great for hanging your hunting gear, your bags, or hats. Not to mention the design just looks plain awesome all by themselves. A Racks hanger makes for a great gift for that special hunter in your life. Go to RacksInc.com to see some of the available designs or contact us to discuss the custom hanger of your own. For listeners of the Outdoor Adventures with Jason podcast, use the promo code PODCAST and get 15% off your first order. Racks, show off your passion. Welcome to this episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. About six, seven months ago, I did an interview with Scott Hunter of Top 10%, and Scott manages land to make sure that people produce big bucks. He looks at your land specifically for that. And one of the things he brought up to me was a company called Horny Buckseed. And he said he'd had fantastic luck using Horny Buckseed and helping to produce the deer. And so I've been watching some of their YouTube videos and reading articles, and I don't know anything about food plots. So I thought, what better way to talk about food plots than to bring on Doug Castreva, the owner of Horny Buckseed, live on the show with us from Wisconsin. Doug, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful, Jason. Thank you for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. Now, Scott couldn't talk enough about your seed, but to me, seed is seed is seed. I'm a complete newbie to this. So I was looking at your website, and you've got just such a variety of seeds, even down to seed for birds, So I really wanted to have you on to say, if somebody brand new to food plots came to you and said, man, I got an acre, I have no equipment, I don't even have a four-wheeler, I'm going to plant everything by hand, how would I even start? What would be the process to get going? Well, you know, exactly what you're telling me, I run into this a lot. And I tell people, you know, when I do my seminars, I try to explain to people, it's like any facet of life, you get out of it what you put into it. The problem is people watch TV or they see these guys in these hunting shows with these food plots and, you know, well, you use this seed and it's going to be this and it's going to look just like this. And people do not understand what goes into a food plot. You know, I tell people right out, I said, when you're going to start doing food plotting, it becomes addictive. Okay, first and foremost. I said, second of all, you get out of it what you put into it. It's going to take a little time. It's going to take some effort um, you, if to do it correctly, okay? Because right now, whether you like it or not, you're going to become a farmer. Because anybody that plants a food plot is a farmer. And I and I, there is no other way to say it. It is the God's honest truth. Because you are trying to grow a crop to feed the animals that you are going to try to harvest and grow. It's no different than growing for bee. I'm a third generation bee farmer. I say I'm on the same farm that my grandparents built. You know, if we can't grow enough feed for our animals, we don't have enough feed to feed them. So, you know, Jay, the main thing is it's going to come back down to weed control, soil testing. You know, there is a lot of, a lot of seeds that you have that will throw and grow. Almost all seeds will throw and grow if the environment is correct. But it's still going to come back down to the health of the plant. You're going to have to, you know, have to maintain your weeds. You're going to have to absolutely have the right weather conditions, which in the in today's society is, I mean, a 10% chance at best. You know, there's some years that I can grow plots, and I do this for a living. I don't even have to try, and it'll grow. These plants will grow unbelievably well because we're getting rain, you know, once a week, twice a week. We have temperatures anywhere from the 70s to the 80s, and, I mean, it's just been phenomenal. But now you have a year like last year where we got, you know, 16, 17 inches of rain, all of your nitrogen leaches away. You don't have a food source for them. You have weeds that seeds that have been sitting dormant for 20, 30 years. All of a sudden, now they're coming out of nowhere. See, these are all things that people don't take into effect. So can you grow stuff without any equipment? Absolutely. But you're still going to have to do weed control. You still have to do soil testing. You have to do all of the above to get some kind of a quality. That's why with Scott, he plants the food plots. He goes through all of these areas that you need to 
really do correctly. And it's all part of the process. And people don't understand it. They just think, well, this is the easiest thing. I'll just grow something on my land. I own the land. I paid a tax. It's easy. And it's not as easy as a person thinks it is. And, you know, our seed is the best. You know, I buy only the best quality that I can put, blend and put in our mixes. Everything is 100% fresh. I don't buy old seed and I don't coat it. So, in other words, you're not paying for something that you don't need. What I'm hearing is, you know, I, I take my one acre food plot, I mow the grass down, throw some seed on there, and and I will most likely get something. But it's really a, a process of yield and quality. So, I, you know, to relate it to a restaurant, it'd be the difference between giving the deer not to knock McDonald's, but McDonald's versus a high quality steakhouse. Well, you know, and I mean, you'll don't take this the wrong way. If you do it as cheaply or as sparingly as you can, you'll be lucky if you get a French fry out of it. You know, and that's where people don't understand that, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. You know, you can't, there is no seed out there that, you know, is a miracle seed. Now, I have things that will grow anywhere, but now here to back down to the nutritional fact, is it going to be nutritional for them? Probably not. Grasses do not provide a lot of nutritional value. They just don't. You know, to get a deer through the winter, you got to give them protein and carbs. That's what they need. Mostly carbs in the winter, proteins during the summer when they're growing their antlers and feeding their fawns. People don't understand that a big buck starts out as a fawn. So the healthier your does are, the healthier your fawns are, the, ha- the better chance that your fawns are going to turn into something because they got a jump start. It's no different than human beings. If we have a kid that is born and you don't give them the proper milk or the proper formula and you don't give them the proper foods as it is growing, it is either going to be stunted, dwarfed, or unhealthy. It's, it's no different in wildlife. A mammal is a mammal, and you got to take care of the mammals the best you are because now, back to what I said, you are now a farmer. So this is how this all kind of ties in together. Got it. You're going to recommend, I think, that I start off with a soil test for each of my food plots if there's more than one? Yes, I, I do. Soil testing to me, we use a, a company called Egg Source. They are absolutely phenomenal to work with. Um, you can go on our website and you can click on the icon soil test. All you have to do is go in there, fill out your name and address and how many soil test kits you want, and they will mail them right to your house. It is free to mail them back in it, it, with a fee of $18, I believe it is, per test. And then they will send you back a hard copy, which is a paper copy, also an email and tell you everything about the soil. Now, what I like about this, Jason, is you can also text on, uh, check off on there what blend you want to plant. So you check off the blend you want to plant, and they will send you back your results sitting there and saying, all right, you're going to plant, you know, tagged out blend. All right, you're going to need to put this much lime, this much, you know, uh, fertilizer, and this is how you're going to get it started. Now, one of the things that I try to explain to people is, you still have to worry about weed control because weeds will consume a lot of your moisture and a lot of your nutritional value that you are using to feed your plant. So you are back to becoming a farmer, gardener, if you want to put it in layman's terms, but you're growing a crop and you need to keep that as clean. You need to keep your plants as healthy as possible. But yes, this is all part of the master plan of getting started and doing it correctly. Okay, so really then, before I do my soil tests if i if i want to know what i'm going to plant you have ones like tagged out big racks luck blend tankalicious dead zone sweet fry and i mean and premium pods and safe zone and checkmate and, and feathered friends there so if i'm looking at these i'm going man i'm not sure i i just i want to grow big deer i might look at a big racks or a tagged out or can you even can some of these be mixed or is that not doable Okay, okay. Here's here's how we have it set up. I try to do it. I try to tell people you're building a restaurant. Okay, and I I do this in my seminars. I say right now you're building a restaurant, and what I mean by that is our our blends are very busy. In other words, they're very there's a lot of different varieties in each blend. And why I I did that strategically was so 
it's no different, and I'm going to go put it to, to our terms, as human being terms. In other words, if we go out, if we get up some morning and we are craving something, whether it be apple juice, orange juice, maybe we could go for a pork sandwich, or maybe we could go for bacon, or maybe, man, goodness, we could go for a sweet roll, or whatever the case may be, pancakes, I don't care. It usually means we are lacking something. So, in other words, we, we're going to need to take in, because we get our minerals and vitamins from what we eat. Deer do the same. They get what their body needs from what they eat. The more variety we have in a plot, the better chance you have for A, the deer sticking there because they can go to that plot and they can always eat something different. Whether it be, even it might be a different variety of clover, alfalfa, chicory, you know, turnips, radishes, whatever the case may be, they always have a different variety for them to eat. And that is what the whole picture of this is. Okay, what can they, what can they consume and take in? Now, back to the health of the plant, the healthier your plants are with the less weed control, the better your deer are going to do on those plants. So as far as mixing the blends, you got to find a blend that's going to be suited for you. I have different guys that want to hunt late season. I have different guys that want to hunt early season. You know, clovers, proteins are good early until it freezes. After it freezes, deer usually will go right to the carbs. They want to put on the fat. They want to put on, they know they need the carbs to give themselves energy and to build fat storage so they can make it through the winter. So the bigger your plot is with carbs, base, which would be your brassicas are very high in carbs. And a lot of guys, they plant corn. Beans are soybean, but that still is a protein. But that's, and, and, and the deer do good on beans, but they'll do better on corn in the winter because corn will help you build fat. See? So each plant has its job. So I'm not a big spring planter. And that is one of the things that I have kind of reinstated with all of our customers to get them thinking outside the box. Because a lot of guys think in the, more, in the springtime, you get up and as a farmer, you know, you plant your spring crop. Well, okay. We're not planting a spring crop. You know, corn plants are, you know, 100-day corn. Beans are 100 days, let's just say hypothetically. A lot of what we are planting is a is a garden item. You know, your, your forages that you're going to plant as far as your radishes and your turnips and things like that. You want them to peak right before it freezes. And a lot of them are 70-day plants. So if you plant, let's say, the first week of August, you got all of August, all of September, there's 60 days. You start getting into October, you get a frost at the end of October. They are peaking right October 1st, actually when they're going to be the most palatable, when they're going to be the most delicious to the deer, so to speak, right when what? Right when you're in a bull stand and you're hunting, okay? So this is all part of growing your groceries to be to the ultimate protein and food source right when they need to consume it. So it's all about timing. And obviously, weather plays a big part in this weed control. So what I do in the springtime is I will do our soil testing. I will do that first, find out where our peach is at. We have a liquid lime product. It's it's 100% liquid. And it is actually, it's basically liquefied stone. Um, one gallon is equivalent to one ton of ag lime. So what's nice about this is you can spray it on. It is instantaneous. It works instantly. And I have customers, we, we started using it last year really full-time, the year before was a trial our test results on our soil testing after we were done let alone our plant results was unbelievable so we are selling it literally by the case because you know a ton of lime to the average layman to go put out is very not what i call cost effective more labor intense than anything and a lot of customers just bypass that and they don't even put it out at all and this is all part of getting your soil amendment right where it needs to be so your plants can use the nitrogen and the fertilizer that egg source says that your your soil test kit needs so that your plants are going to grow absolutely to the peak to where they need to be oh okay so i see that here it's a liquid lime and i i get that and that's a concentrate that i then dilute down Correct. Yeah. One gallon, I usually put to two gallons of water. You got to blend it really, you know, I mean, I usually mix it in a five gallon bucket just because I want to make sure, because you got to, you're, you're actually, it is liquid rock is what it is. So I tell my customers it is, an, you know, almost, I don't want to say almost every, you know, not everybody, but I'm going to say 95% of my customers that are food plotting freaks, like I call them, they all have a four wheeler sprayer or some type of a larger sprayer other than a hand sprayer. 
In other words, they can go out on their four-wheeler and they I use a Fimco. That's what I use. I use a 30-gallon Fimco with a boomless spray uh, wand. It actually sprays out 30 feet, so 50 uh, feet from center to center, from center out. So it's a total width of 30 foot bread. I use that religiously. The only thing I tell all my customers is when you're done spraying the lime, please, please, please take your sprayer and clean it out because you do not want any of that liquid stone to sediment. It'll it'll get hard. It w- and it will, you know, just like anything. You don't want to leave any anything in a sprayer because even some chemicals will gum up they will gel up the microbes will end up you know growing and then they will plug up your nozzle so no matter what you spray in life you it's the best thing that you can do is always 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 clean out your sprayer very crucial yeah i can see once that stuff hardens up you you're gonna have to just go get a new sprayer Right, yeah, pretty much, yes. And I mean, I've had a couple customers, and I tell them, you know, and they're like, oh, I was too lazy last night. And I'm like, and I get it. Hey, I get it. I understand it. But, you know, and it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always happen. I mean, I've already left lime in my sprayer overnight, and I was blessed enough that I could, you know, agitate it and get it running again. And, and I, you know, and I, but then again, I've already learned the hard way where I had to take my sprayer nozzles all apart and clean them and get it running again. It's just human nature. You know, you're just tired and you don't think nothing of it. So from that point on where I had to spend an extra three hours cleaning my sprayer because I didn't want to take the extra 15 minutes to clean it out, I learned what we call the hard way. So the moral of the story is you're never too old to learn. And I learned, you know. You'll only do that one time. Yep, yep, yep. And if you're done, you do it more than once. You know, so maybe, you know, maybe I look at it as a pat on my back. Hey, I'm not, I I was just lazy once and I'm done being lazy. I got to do it right. But it works unbelievably. I have so many customers last year that called and they said, they could see where they missed in the plot, where they sprayed the plot, and where they missed. They said it was the difference of six to eight inches in growth. They wow. said so they were sold on it. You know, I mean, when you get a and I had a boatload of calls like that last fall, which made me feel really good to know that they were doing it right, if that makes sense. And that's where sure. see, we're all about. I'm all about education. I, you know, and I I think that was one of the things that Scott really was impressed with his food plotting and his. You know, he would come to me with questions, and, and and I am big on customer service. The world today, customer service is gone. It is gone. I mean, how many people now call 1-800 number, 1-900, whatever that number is, and all of a sudden you're talking to somebody in India or Africa or, you know, Mexico, wherever. I don't know, and, you know, and you don't get an answer. I am very big on helping people. I try to take everybody's phone calls. I tell people, text me if you have any questions. You know, and I was going to say, you know, when we talked about this before we aired, you know, there's no, I always call myself just a dumb farmer, you know, and then you said, well, there's no such thing as a dumb farmer. And I said, you're right, but I want people to understand that, you know what, there is no such thing as a dumb question, because if you don't know and you don't ask, put your pride away and ask. Because mm-hmm. I ask questions that I don't know, and, and I don't don't think just because, you know, we I grow deer and I see how people grow deer on their property and keep deer on their property doesn't mean that I know everything. So what I tell people, listen, I'm not going to sit there and say what you're doing is wrong. I'm going to tell you, this is how I do it. And this is what works for me, you know, and, and I think I get people to understand that, you know, well, I was doing it this way. Well, all right. Okay. And then they'll sit there and say, well, I was noticing this, this, and this, and I'll turn around, I'll sit there and say, well, maybe you should have did this and this and this first and then work from there. But cause the food plotting back to what I'm always preaching, it's all weather based. It is just a weather based life. And if you don't get the rain or you get too much rain and you have sandy soil, I get, I get this question all the time. And I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners are going to have this. I got sandy soil. I got sandy soil. I can't get nothing to grow. I got sandy soil. First thing I'll ask you to do a pH test. Nine times out of 10, they're going to say no. Or yes, I did. And my pH is at five. It says I need four ton of lime to the acre. There's no GD way I'm going to get four ton of lime to where I got to get it to. And I respect that. That's why this liquid lime will help so much. Because when I do my seminars, I tell everybody this in the room. I say this right out. I said, put your price on a big buck. What is a big buck worth to you? And you got to look into that because I get, you know, a lot of people too. And I'll ask this question. What is the most expensive food uh, as part of your food plot? And a lot of them will raise their hand. Well, the seed. And I'll be like, okay, why? Well, I can go and get the seed at a feed mill. And I said, it'll be, let's just say hypothetically, it's about $15 an acre cheaper than yours. I said, all right. All right. I said, let's go with it. So here's how I run with this, Jason. And I, and I have a field day and all of a sudden they look at me like a deer in the headlights. 
I said, all right, so you want to save 15 bucks, two happy value meals, basically, if you look at the whole picture, $15. I said, all right, so now you, if you don't have the land, you have to buy the land, okay? And if you don't have to buy the land, you got to lease the land. If you're lucky, you get the land so you can hunt it for free from a dad and uncle or brother. All right, so let's just say you do get the land for free. Let's just say that. But realistically, if you're paying taxes, your land isn't free, okay? Now you're going to have to work up the ground because you want to do it correctly. So if you want to do it correctly, you have, if you have to buy a tractor, if you don't have to buy a tractor, you have to lease a tractor. If you don't have to lease a tractor, you got to figure out a way somehow to borrow a tractor. Now you still got fuel. You still have your time. You still have everything you have into weed control. You have everything into every other facet of life into there, all because you can go to a female and say $15. And they all look at me like, boy, that was really a dumb comment. I'm like, I just want people to realize the big picture of things. Because as human society, we always look at the finish. We don't look at what got us to the finish. And people need to really look at that and understand what goes into holding deer on your property and that's where scott and i are on the same page you can't keep deer on your property for a measly couple hundred bucks it you it physically is impossible it, it, there is no way you need to grow what you need to grow to keep the deer there and we still are their number one predator so if you hunted poorly you your deer are going to be gone again or nocturnal if there's so much to this and, and you know jace i could talk on this forever which you know we can in the future but it's the big picture of things if that makes sense no it makes complete sense because even if you put it into antler size and i went to a local place and i got marginal seed okay seed and it created forage for a deer to grow to a 120 or i get quality seed that pushes enough nutrients and I have the soil tested properly and I, I spend that extra 50 bucks and I start seeing 130s, 140s, that's worth it all day long. Okay, well, I ask people, I ask customers this question and I'm going to ask you this question, Jason. It's kind of funny. And I just want you to give me your um, honest answer. And there's no, there's no wrong answer. I just want you to give me your honest answer. When I say germination, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to mind? The seed sitting in the ground. Okay, most people will sit there and say germination would be growing. 90% of the people say it's something growing. That's germination, growing. Okay, according, and so you go on the back of a bag and you look on the back of a bag, it'll say germination. Germination percentage, you know, 90%, 85%, 80%, whatever. Now, here's where it gets into why our seed is different than a lot of other companies. When you go to the USDA and they go and they do a, they, they test your seed, they give you a feedback on your germination. Now, germination to the USDA means the seed cracked. Doesn't mean it emerged, doesn't mean it grew. It just means that the seed cracked. In other words, they have no way of sitting there and saying the soil quality you have, you know, with the sunlight, all the things that go into growing that plant, every place is going to vary. So all they can go off of is that seed crack. So here's the deal. If you have seed that's fresh, it'll crack, it'll grow, it'll be out of the ground in two to three days. If you have seed that's older, it might just crack, even though the germination says 90%, 90% of them seeds might crack, but they might never, ever emerge. And then the vigor of the plant is not there. So there is nothing for your deer. So this is where we always like to sit there and say we are different than many, many other companies. We use 100% fresh, uncoated seed. And that is why when you buy seed from us, you are getting 100% fresh seed. It all germinates. Our biggest complaint that we ever get is it comes in too thick. And I'll be because you planted it wrong. You know, less is more. Plants need room to grow, period. So a lot of people don't know how to seed, which we could talk about that on another show. They don't know how to seed. They don't know, you know, what what's the best technique for seeding. These are different things that are very, very important to doing it correctly. And it's, I seed with my, I use a bag seeder and I seed with my ears. Some people use gauges. Some people do pull behinds with four wheelers. There's all, you know, you know, and I'm not going to sit down and get into it. You know, well, this works for me and, you know, this works for me or whatever works for you. But if your plants are, you know, too thick, your fruit is not going to be able to grow in the ground that's going to provide groceries for the deer. So it's all about fresh seed, all germinating, you know, seed. And here's another little thing that I always tell my customers, seed diameter times two in the ground. And a lot of these seeds are 600,000 seeds per pound. In other words, they are tiny. 
So they do not need to go on the ground an inch, inch and a half. They will never see the light of day. You know, so there's a big picture there also. I want to go back to this is the beginning of March. Obviously, ground is still frozen. Would this be the time, though, that I'm taking my soil sample? No, no. I usually do my soil sampling as soon as the frost breaks. As soon as I can get out into the soil, here's how I do a soil sample, I, I, you know, so people, you know, are on the same page. Here's really what I try to do. I will go to a food plot. Let's just say it's an acre. We're just going to go off an acre. And I will take a bucket, uh, ice cream pail, five-gallon bucket, whatever. And if you don't have a soil spade like I have, I usually use a pipe, whether it be a conduit pipe, PVC pipe, doesn't matter. I pound that in the ground, a wa- you know, water pipe, metal pipe, it doesn't matter. I pound that in the ground, you know, anywhere from four to six inches. I take that, I clean that out in the bucket. I will start in the center of the plot. I will pull a sample there and I will do one in each corner of the plot. Okay. So I'm going to come up with five samples out of that plot. I will take that, that, them samples. I will take my hand and I will firmly stir it and mix it together. In the soil test kit, there is a bag. I take that bag. I will fill that bag up. I will write on that bag what plot number it is. Let's say it's dad's plot or it's Bill's plot or it's plot number seven or plot number nine, whatever it is. So you know where that soil sample came from. And then I will check off on the box. I usually check off big racks or tagged out one of them too, because that is a combination of brassicas and clovers and alfalfas. And that'll give me a very good reading on what I'm going to need for fertilizer, okay, and lime. And then I will send it in. And then when I get the results back, now is when I start my process of when to, why to, how to. And then I, you know, I do my weed control. I do my, here's one thing about people don't understand about weeds. Weed seeds can sit in the ground for as much as 40 to 50 years. When you agitate them, they will come to life and they will sprout and grow. Here's how I do my weed kill. I will spray and weed kill. I will leave it. I will leave it about 24 hours. I will go back and I will till it. And then I'll leave it for 30 days. I will come back because it'll all green back up again, usually. And I will spray it and do that process all over again. By the time I kill it three times, I at least got it to a 70 to an 80 percentile weed control. And now I'm in business where I can start growing something. So this is all part of the plan. By this time, I've got my soil tested. I've gone in and I've, I've tilled the the one acre piece of ground three times if it has heavy weeds or weeds just in general and by tilling that over three times along with the weed killer i should have the bulk of that both current and older seed that's hidden the ground killed correct yes i usually like i said about so so we put you know so if you can do this you can start this in april let's just say as soon as it greens up i will spray it and kill it and till it and leave it till may and I got, you know, April, then I got May. I will do it again in June, same thing. And then come July, I will do it for the last time, end of July. And then right after that time, I will spray our plant. I will spray my lime. I will spray my liquid fertilizer. Uh, or if you're using granular, here's one thing. If you're using granular, it's not wrong with granular. Just make sure that you put that, incorporate that into the soil because nitrogen goes up nitrogen don't go down if you go and put nitrogen on dirt and you don't get any rain for you know 48 hours you lost over 50 percent of your nitrogen because it went up so i tell people if you're going to put granular nothing wrong with granular just do it before a rain you know it's going to be raining so get it out so the water can wash it down or if not now put it so you can actually take somehow some way to get that into the soil i usually kill it in lightly i don't plow i don't even disc i know a lot of guys just nothing wrong with it i like to keep my seed beds i don't like to bring moisture up because for every inch you go down you're bringing three inches of moisture up especially in, uh, in in michigan there's a lot of sand wisconsin a lot of sand when you have sandy soil you do not want to aerate that soil any more than you have to because you are just losing all your moisture so back to fall time when you're planting like i said in august you are getting your fall rains. Usually you get fall rains and you get better temperatures and you can grow stuff in sand. The problem I have with people with sand is they don't have any humus in that soil. So, you know, sometimes you can plant crops if you like back to the grass when you're weed killing. When I weed kill, I spray it and kill it. And, and that plant is dead usually in three to four hours. But I, within 24 hours, I'm putting that green matter back in that soil. You want to till that green back in. And here's why. Anything green you're putting in the soil, you're saving 
on your soil. You are helping putting bacteria. You're putting nitrogen. Anything green that you put down is nitrogen. You are feeding your soil at that time. So anytime you can feed that soil, Jason, you're winning. I got a lot of guys, well, it's got to be brown. It's got to be brown. And, you know, hey, I'm just telling you, from a farming aspect, I don't want to put anything brown in the soil because it takes twice as much nitrogen and twice as much moisture to break that plant down and turn it into a food soil. So I am all about feeding your plant. It'd be no different than, in that case, making it like a big compost pile when you're putting it in green. In a roundabout way, you are 100% spot on. You are putting food source back in. So I've got that ground tilled. I've got, for the most part, the weeds are done. And I'm now sitting, let's say, early, mid-June, maybe even a little towards later June. In where I'm at, very similar to where you're at, it's all farm country. So the farmers are all cash crops, alfalfa, soybeans, or sugar beets. So in essence, okay. I live in a huge food plot. So I've got to make my food plots more attractive to bring deer into where I'm at. So I need to have, right. and this is where Scott really comes into play with having the cover and the water and then utilizing your seed to make it attractive so that the deer leave all the other areas to come to where he's set up. And that's where I can see this quality seed because I've got to have something there that is different that their palate likes as well. And I'm, I'm looking at this tagged out and it's got all sorts of stuff in it, you know, from the alfalfa right. to the turf turnips to the radish to everything and what i like it's got everything but sugar beets yeah yeah and, well, and here's another thing that you it's funny i'm glad you brought this up because i get this all the time well i'm surrounded by agriculture i'm surrounded by agriculture i'm surrounded by agriculture and i said okay and i sit there and say all right now here's where people don't think well i'm not going to have any here because i have agriculture there and i'll be like because it won't come to my food plot and I said, listen, it's back down to what we, when I started the show, I was telling you about variety. Deer need variety. Deer can only eat corn for so long and their stomach need different types to, uh, for their stomach to work. So they need different plant types. That's why deer are browsers. They are natural browsers. That is what they do. They get different roughages in their stomach so they can chew their cud and they can actually process it. So corn, I, you know, you, you take corn is great. Beans are great. But another thing too, when the farmers harvest them, what do they have to eat? I tell people that. Oh, I never thought of that. I'm like, yeah. So you need groceries on your property because I get this. Well, I'm not going to put in a big pot because I got corn and beans. I said, okay, do you leave the corn and beans? Well, no. Okay. So they have it up until when? Thanksgiving, if you're lucky, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I never, never thought of it. So what do they have during the winter? Well, I don't know. Well, there you go. See, this is where you answer your own questions with a question. What am I thinking when I'm thinking that the beer going to be have something to eat, and then there's nothing to eat. You always got to keep, like back to when I started, groceries, groceries, groceries. You can never have enough groceries. Your best problem, if, you, if that makes an oxymoron statement, your best problem is this, to have food sources left over in the spring of the year. You won. You won. Because deer have an absolute photographic memory, and they will remember that, hey, I lived there all winter, and I had it good. I might as well either A, stay there all summer, or B, come fall, I'm going to head back there to live there again this winter. And pretty soon, back to what I said, deer are lazy. They will consistently stay there. The biggest problem about keeping deer on your property, I tell everybody this, go look in the mirror, because you are it. You know, you got coyotes, and you got wolf issues up here in Wisconsin. you got bears issues. I understand that. But 90% of what makes deer nocturnal, go look in the mirror. God created deer to eat every four to six hours. That is how he formulated them. That is so, it's kind of like you can watch cattle in a the field. They'll be out grazing. And then all of a sudden, after an hour or two, they sit down for about three or four hours and they chew their cud and they sit together in the shade. And then all of a sudden, they all get back up. And what are they doing? They're eating again. Deer are the same way. They eat, and that's the way they are. But now you fill them with corn, and they don't have to eat but every 12 hours. It's no different than my cattle at home. If I fill them full of corn silage, they don't eat hardly at all during, you know, they'll eat maybe once, and then you'll see them eating again probably six, seven, eight hours later. And it's all because their stomach is full. They have what they need for nutritional value. They don't need to eat again. It's just how what they get for energy out of what they intake. It's no different with food plotting. You want to keep your deer out on your food plots. You want to have them eating, and we got to stay away from them. 
stay out of them. Don't worry about your camera. You know, the pictures will be there. You know, there's different ways of doing things, if that makes sense. So once I get this planted, like, for example, I was looking at there's tagged out and there's checkmate. I could, I could in those food plots, would I theoretically do two or three plantings so that one planting grows, hits the frost, stops growing, but remains there for even the deer to dig under the snow to access it? Absolutely. I mean, I have, I mean, this year, it's a rough year for our deer here in Wisconsin. In the swamp, we have about 30 inches of snow right now where we're, I'm located. Out on the food plots and on the fields, where it's about 20 inches because a lot of the snow has blown off, you know, into, so there might be banks that might be six feet deep in some places and other places there might only be 20 inches. They are literally digging right now into that snow to get down to them greens because they need to eat, you know, and the plants are still there. They just need to eat them. And another thing too, that's nice about having clover and alfalfa in these blends is in the springtime, as soon as we get some warm rains, we don't, in the springtime, people don't understand what the deer have to eat in the spring. Well, they got to wait for things to green up. Okay. That clover and alfalfa comes back pretty early in the spring, especially after we get some good warm rains. Now they are ready off to a good start for their fawns. They're going to be off to a good start of getting themselves back to the nutritional value that they need, plus the mineral that they're going to end up consuming that you're going to put out for them. And this is going to get their growing season off to a good start. Growing deer on your property is a 12 months out of the year. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an absolute total 365 day a year job. It is. And, and people don't understand that. The problem that I have with a lot of guys that are, I, I don't want to call weekend warriors. I'm just going to call guys that, you know, they have a passion for it when the time comes but they don't think outside the boxes at the end of the year when they're, when, you know, when you put your bow away or your gun away, cause season's over, they feel that, well, you know, I hope the deer make it through the winter. Well, you know, we got to try to give them something to help them to get through the winter so that they can, you know, grow for the next year and get them off. To, it's all about land management. It's all about, you know, helping, you know, the resources out there the best you can to help your deer to get through. And it, and it may not even just be deer. It might be, you know, your turkeys or your partridge, your grouse, whatever, whatever you can help to get them through the winter. Yeah, I was just thinking in, in my particular area, it's all, for the most part, cash crops, the main one being sugar beets. I live next to a sugar factory. There's a storage yard for the beets that are grown farther north, about 20 miles north of here, and a person said that they they counted 80 deer in the storage lot last week. Oh, I, I, I believe it. And I'm it's sitting there food, going, yeah, know? exactly. It's a big food pile of beets, but I'm also thinking... If I had a food plot that had, albeit under some snow, but had turnips, rutabagas, alfalfa, clover, that's going to give them that variety that they want and are, are most likely at this time of the year just craving. No, I mean, that's all. it's all part of it. All part of it. So if I've got a piece of property, is there, and I this is kind of a dumb question, but I, I don't know how else to ask it. Is there any such thing as too small of a food plot? Well, okay. Yes. Yes and no. I have a lot of guys that put in small plots. They call them a transition plot, and they hunt over them. And it might be a quarter acre. Here's the deal. And this is all the studies that I have done with deer. This is what I have. Here's how deer work. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I have witnesses. I help out with a lot of different people. Do you know? I help them with their management and understanding deer as a whole. When you have a small area. And, and one deer finds it, and they know how much food is in that source. I have found in my research that deer will tend to overeat. And how I've learned that is I have two plots. I, I did this as a study on one of my customers' property. He had a plot that was about a quarter acre, and I have a plot next to him, next to that plot, that is about two and a half acres, almost three acres, okay? They are no more than 40 yards apart, 40 yards apart. It's a transition area, so the deer comes to that small plot, and then they go through a little corridor to get to this big plot. Now, I went and I planted that quarter-acre plot and the big plot in the exact same blend. Now, they came, I would have more deer, they would eat that quarter-acre plot to the ground, and then all of a sudden they would be out into that bigger plot. Now, in my expert opinion, a lot of it is security reasons. Smaller confined makes a deer feel more secure. They can use all of the senses to detect danger. In a bigger plot, it's a little bit harder, you know, for them to monitor, you know, people that are going to be, you know, 100 yards away, 150 yards away. Okay. That is one of the things. But one of the other things that I noticed is 
I think if they if they notice that there's another couple deer in it, I feel that I could understand that the deer would be overeating. I thought that they overate in that plot just because, well, man, living if I don't eat it, somebody else will. And and, and I, that's just my opinion of what I took from the photos, from the pictures that I had on camera, everything that I did in my research. That's what I thought it was. And they ate that quarter acre plot completely down to the dirt. And then they had to go another, and it was only, I think it's 30 or 40 yards to the big, big plot. Now, these are all surrounded by, by trees. They're all surrounded by wood. And it just made no sense to me other than I I took it upon myself to feel, in my opinion, it was just because of that case. They're like, well, if I don't eat it, Betty and, and, and Helen and, and, you know, and Steve are going to come here and eat it all if I don't get it. Not thinking that, well, man, I got this whole other plot that's right here. I, I, it made no sense to me, but that's the only, only thing that I could come up with why that plot was eaten down so much. So there's a quarter acre plot help you any food source will help you but will you be able to sustain any amount of deer not likely because deer attract deer back to what i said deer are lazy they follow the leader so you can have and i've had this on how many properties that i help people with their food plots they start out with an acre before you know it they got a dozer in and they got it to three why because they started out with six to eight deer and then all of a sudden they got 25 deer where did these 25 deer all of a sudden come from they don't know it's because some deer followed other deer to get to that spot. And that's just how it works. I told Scott this the other day. I said, if you plant it, they will come. And that's really what it comes down to. Because one deer know that they're being fed. They got that in their back to their mind that I can go there and eat. And this is the whole thing of deer management, plotting management on your property. Okay. So I come along. This is early March. It's not too early to start to plan out where my food plots are going to be but i want to wait about another oh three and a half four weeks a month or so before i pull those soil samples once we get into april and hopefully there's no more snow no more freezing weather pull those soil samples i get that soil sample done let's say i'm just doing one food plot and i get that emailed report then i can email that i could literally email that to you and say okay i've got the one acre i talked with them about I'm making something tagged out. So then you'll put an order together or I can then go onto your website and order up after even an email from you or one of your assistants or anything say, yep, I'm going to need the the lime. I'm going to need fertilizer and seed, then start to work my food plot and start to become where I've got to take the responsibility and start actually farming it and working it. And I can do those orders right from you and, and even set up order additional seed. Like I, I'm going to do a tagged out, let's say, and then I want to do a, a dead zone come the fall time or the frost one. I, I can go and order all that stuff right from your website. It looks like. Yep. And it, like I said, I can tell, you know, and if people have questions, they can text me. Hey, you know, I got my seed. Res- I got my soil test results back. I have a couple questions, and I'm usually on my phone a lot. I mean, it's just my life. Uh, you know, I'm not complaining, and the Lord has blessed me. He really has, but I am all about uh, customer service. So I tell people, if you, have a cus- if you have a question, just text me. I will get back to you. It might take an hour or two. I, I, I'm not, you know, not going to promise you because I just do it in order I receive them, but I found our business is growing because people, you know, and I mean, I'm not a big computer guy you know um i I, i'm really not so i but i can talk you through if you have questions i will answer your questions to the best of my ability usually a lot of times it's a scenario you know you you know i might call i get this a lot i'll call me up hey you know i got a plot over here i couldn't get nothing to grow and then i said all right okay what was the weather like and what did you do and then they tell me and they tell me and I'm like, okay, here's what I recommend I would do. And then, you know, and then I explain to them and they're like, well, I can't do this, but I can do this. Then I'm like, okay, let's try this, this, and this. Can you do those? Yeah. Okay. Let's try that this year. You know, and, 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 and we're winning because people are getting more and more successful, but it's all back down to, you know, putting the time in, doing it correctly, all of the above. This. So that's how this all works. And this seed product that you sell, it can be used pretty much anywhere in the United States or Canada or even down into Mexico. We ship our seed, you know, well, we can't ship into Canada because of the rules and the laws, but we ship a pretty much right now, I think in the 29 different states have purchased our seed from us online. I preach this to everybody. It's all on 
timing of planting. It's all on timing of planting. And, and, you know, I got a lot of guys that, like I said, when I started this thing, I said, you know, I started our interview. They want to plant in spring because the farmers are out in the field. I got to get out in the field and plant something. And I'm like, you know, even if your plants do make it, you know, when you, when you have a 70 day plan and you got 120 days on it, you got an old woody, non basically non-nutritional plant. And the only way you're going to get a nutritional plant is realistically doing it at the right time. So, you know, it's all about timing of planting. Exactly. Would I, and you just mentioned something uh, had me thinking. So you mentioned, for example, where I'm at is I, I don't know how sandy the soil is, but I do know the soil is sandy. So you mentioned the plants get old and woody. Would I not just come in and till those back under and do a fresh planting and use that prior green stuff as, as, nutrition for the soil and just do a, a fresh planting that'll carry into the fall you know here's the deal with that you know you can but then you just wasted a lot of time and energy and food source so and what i mean by that is if you go plant your like a tagged out at a big racks in the fall like we, like you normally do all of them brassicas and then and allow that alfalfa and clover and chicory to get started okay and then in the springtime you should have a green a green lush plot because of the leftover plants that'll grow back in spring, which are your perennials. So your annuals, you'll have your annuals for the fall, and you'll have all your perennials in the spring. This way you have all, and all you'll have to do is mow it. And we can talk about that on another show. But yeah, you'll have to just, you know, basically do your maintenance. And then we can talk about other options after the maintenance of what you can and cannot do. Oh, okay. That makes complete sense. We've got the ability to have a fresh crop, so to speak, in the in the summer or you know in the early spring when they're craving anything green, based upon what we planted leftover from leftover in the fall, and very little maintenance to get that up and running. Let them eat that down, and then we're going to go in and plant another uh, Juneish time. Or give again, depending on where you're at. We're going to plant another cover that will carry through to the fall for them and just kind of repeat the process. Right. It's all about keeping a food source there at all times. I tell your women. When I was a kid living here, there really was no such thing as a food plot. People just hunted over the orchards. They hunted over the bean fields. They, you know, they might pour a pile of carrots out there. But we've now got the issue with the concerns over chronic wasting disease and places are clamping down on either very little baiting, or in this case, I think Michigan's going to no baiting, or very little, depending on where you're at. And the news is running stories. The news, you know, it's a thing you love to hate, but they start to do stories like zombie deer, and anybody that's not, you know, it scares you know, the heck they, out of you. Don't even want to get, I know you don't want to get me going on this because this 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 will go this will go down a rabbit hole. That to the, I get into this. Um, uh, uh, yeah, you're already getting my blood pressure going, and I don't, I don't. Well, we'll I, yeah, you know, it, right. And and I'm not saying it in a bad way. The problem is, you know, I've been I've been working with deer and deer farmers and deer, you know, preserves, and I I have nothing against none of them. The problem is, is there's so many misinformed people out there as as a whole. And you know what? I call it scare tactics. All, you know, you ever hear of mad cow disease? You know, I mean, it, it's been out. You know, nature has a way of taking care of itself. Um, they invited me to a panel to do a panel at a show one time, and we talked about this, and this got brought up. And I asked the people uh, on the panel that were from our local, you know, state BNR, and there was different wildlife biologists there and everything. And I, I this is the question I asked them. I said, where is there a documented case where somebody got sick or died, a human being got sick or died from uh, CWD. And they all kind of looked at me, well, there's no proven, proven case, but we're skeptical cases. Okay, why are they skeptical cases? Well, because we don't know why they got sick. Well, do, how are they sick? Was it from eating a deer? Well, they don't, we really can't prove that. Well, you know, did they die? No. Okay, so, so they, they, so they, did, did, was the deer even tested? No. So, so a person ate deer meat, or so they said they ate deer meat, and they got sick. And well, yeah, well, you see, there, it's all smoke and mirrors to me. And I, I don't. It gets to a point where nature takes care of itself. The healthier your deer, the better off you are. I tell people this right out. You want to do anything to help the deer, you know, community. I said, 
try to figure out something to get rid of the, the, the blue tongue or the, the midge that is causing a lot of issues in central Wisconsin, central United States. You know, there's, you know, it's such an absolute, I don't know. I, I, we've learned, I have learned, the healthier your deer are, the better they're going to be, period. It's all about health of the animal. The healthier, healthier we are as, as humans, the less sick we become. It's no different. It's what we take in and what we don't take in is what gets us sick. You know, flus. I mean, I got people that, you look at this way, I got people that, you know, don't even take a flu shot and they take vitamins and they never get sick, ever. It depends on the person. You know, it's no different than the animal. That's a whole nother story, though. <laughs> you know, um, I just get into it with different people and I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not here, you know, to say I'm a, I'm a scientist or I know everything, but. I just feel that there's a lot of what we call, I call smoke and mirrors that I, I just don't get it. And I don't even touch base on it that much. I just, I found it's just a scare tactic to get people to, to something to talk about, basically. Um, I, I don't know. I, yeah. And I've, I've heard numerous people talk on it different ways. And I, I don't discount that CWD is something that's in the soil. Deer on occasion are going to get it. And as any responsible hunter if you see a sick deer and you shoot a sick deer to put it out of its misery maybe you don't eat it maybe you turn it into your local department of natural resources you know hello it's life i mean you know it is it is it is life i mean it's it's the chain it's the way world is it 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 goes back down to the baiting thing they ban baiting because they're afraid and and i mean i'm just gonna just tell it like it is because i'm anybody out there that's listening to this that hunts any amount of time, that has sat in the woods, sat on a food plot, did any amount of hunting at any time, at any way, if you bait, I don't care if you bait your food plot, I don't care if you food plot, I don't care what you do, but if you sit there and you watch deer, and you don't think deer don't touch each other, and the only way they're going to share spit is by off of a bait pile or a plant on a food plot, you are absolutely smoking something you shouldn't be <laughs> because it, I mean, I have watched deer lick each other, lick each other's butts, lick each other's noses. I mean, I've seen them go from one deer to another deer to another deer, you know, snorting and smelling, you know, you can see the seam and the, and the spit coming out of there. I mean, I've seen it all. There's not out of their nostrils. I mean, listen, if an animal's going to get sick, it's going to get sick, Right. you know, but don't tell me, that, well, you know what? We're going to try to curve it by not putting out a bait pile because that way they won't be sharing spit. I've watched deer eat a corn cob, ate off of a corn cob. Another deer come and ate some corn off of that same corn cob. This is hanging on a stalk, mind you. And then another deer come and eat off of that same corn cob. Three different deer touched the same corn cob in the same deer hunt that I was sitting. But yet, oh, well, we can't have them share anything. You know, I'm like, really, people? Where is this world coming to? You know? I'm like, gosh, bless America. Yeah, how often have you seen those one-and-a-half-year-old bucks that are little spikes and fork horns that are are messing with each other, locking up their, their little antlers? Right. And they're, they have no choice but to touch noses because their antlers are so small. It's, 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 it's just it's all propaganda, you know? Um I get ridiculed for it, but I just sit there and say, listen, I also admit it, nature takes care of itself. You know, and as Samaritans, here's the, here's the biggest problem that I run into for my customers. I have a lot of customers that do not want to shoot those. In other words, they are not doing proper management. You want to do proper management on your property. And, and where I'm going with this, I'm not sitting here, don't know, so people don't crucify me, but I'm just going to say, I have customers and I have witnessed this where they'll have 85 deer in a 10-acre food plot of our stuff, and there is not one antler in the bunch. And this is in October. There is not one antler, and they refuse to shoot those. And I look at them, and I'm like, you are a poor Samaritan for what we need. You can shoot 10, 15 does out of here because you need to actually help your deer herd by getting new genetics, new things in this herd. And right now... This isn't, well, what if I, if I shoot that many does, that's going to be that many less fun. Yeah, you shoot 10 does at 30 deer the next year on a good year. All right, I understand that. But if you don't shoot them and you have 80, 
how many are you going to have the next year? And they don't understand that. They, you know, they want to call it going through life with blinders on. You're, some of the biggest bucks, this year we produced almost 60 boners off of our product that I know of from customers emailing me, texting me pictures, or whatever, from or calling me. All right? Out of that, I, out of all of those, hardly anybody wants me to. I cannot share them with the public because of social media and how people are greedy and they want to go lease out land or buy properties next to me. It's just, it's, I think it's got a whole nother story, but where I'm going with this is, you know, it's all about, these guys are good Samaritans. They manage your property. They take out whatever does they need to take out the old mature does. And you know what they are, they're, you know, back down to you're, you're, you're a good Samaritan to your property and you are growing gear that you need to grow on your property. You are management. We are become deer managers. When you own property, you have to manage the wildlife. And if we don't, we will be overrun. And, 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 and you know, you know, and I, of course, you know, well, well, wolves are going to eat so many, coyotes are going to eat so many, and bears are going to eat so many fawns. And I understand all of those things. But still, if you are seeing that many deer and you are not taking out a doe or, you know, whatever, you're not doing your, you're not doing yourself justice, if that makes sense. Sure. And let me ask you this, because you, you brought up something so I plant, and I've got the, the chicories, the turnips, the rutabagas. I've got a field full of that, let's say, up in your area where there's a lot of bears. Do you catch pictures of bears foraging through those? All the time. Bear love clovers. They love clovers. In the fall, they eat clovers like no tomorrow. Um, and in the springtime, they eat them. Bear like grass. They eat grass, they eat greens, they eat vegetation. I get it a lot. I've gotten them eaten up already. I have a customer that plants food plots for bears. That's all he does. And he, you know, and he's way up north near the UP, and he's got bears in it all the time eating, all the time. Um, and, and, you know, they, they like it. Now, does it put, you know, fat on them like carbs will? No, but they will eat it, and they will do relatively well on it, you know, so... I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, I, we have bears eat them, and, you know, I mean, even dogs will eat grass. You know that. You know, it's just different, you know, it, you know, it's just different things, you know. I just figured for a bear, he or she, a, a female with cubs, any of them, they'll wander in, they'll graze through that, walk off, go find some, whether it be carrion or a fresh kill, gorge on some meat, turn around, come back to the vegetation, go to berries. I mean, they'll eat anything that, that doesn't eat them first. Right. Well, you know, exactly. They're in a hog family. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're pigs, you know, so it don't matter. Yeah. And I would think down South, that type of seed would be not only good for, for hogs, but, or not only good for deer, but also hogs would tear it up. Yeah, they do. I have a, I have some customers actually um, that use some of our stuff down in Alabama, Arkansas and Georgia, and they have a lot of hogs down there. Um, they said that the hogs are just terrible. And they said they come in and they just, and they, they laughed because they said if you got a big field of it, they said they'll just come in and it'll be done to be 60, 80, 100 hogs. And, of course, they're rooting through and they're eating everything, you know. But, you know, and, and then they got to eradicate them because there's so many, you know, and that's back down to they got to manage their property and try to keep their hogs down, you know. So, you know, it's a big it's a big picture of things, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, having spent the last 14 years in Texas, where uh, not all, but a large chunk of the the properties are now high fenced and that can be a hundred acres that somebody high fences. It could be 50,000 acres. You know, you just, they're all sizes. So I don't have an issue with hunting inside of an enclosed area because it's, some of them are bigger than an area a deer would ever wander in their whole life. But I, when it goes back to management, I've seen some of these guys take it to where they do a, a count of their deer and they go down to a one-to-one ratio on bucks to does. Uh, which would be hard oh. to do in a where, where in an area like where you're at, be, just because of the the nature of it. But when you have a, an encased property where you can manage it in a different way, they'll take it right down to a one to one. And I asked them one time. I says, "Well, isn't that killing all your fawn crop?" And they said, "No, it's quite the opposite." If uh, and I don't know if this is true or not, but they said. If a buck has a bunch of does that he can breed easily, he will put his energies into growing a bigger body for energy, not into bigger antlers for fighting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and it's, and there, you know, there, there is a lot to sustaining animals 
you know, I mean, we've learned that a lot of your, and I mean, and, I, and if anybody hunts enough, they know that you, a bigger body deer does not necessarily have to have a big rack for it to be the dominant buck. No. Um, you know, it's all about, you know, I mean, you know, rule of thumb. I mean, I've hunted Illinois. I've got to hunt Iowa. I've got to hunt a lot of different states. I mean, the Lord's blessed me there. And I've always, we always got that proverbial meanie, you know, the one that's an absolute, just a mean sucker that'll come in. And you're right. It's a big body with no antlers, hardly at all. And he's the one that's out chasing all the other bucks off because, you know, I'm the king of the roost, you know. So, yeah, there is a lot to that. It's all about, you know, your doe to buck ratio is huge. You know, three to four does to a buck, you know, as far as the count, you're going to have healthier bucks. There's a lot to that. There's no doubt, there's no doubt about that, Dave. I look at these food plot items, and after talking to Scott, I really wanted to have you on. Because I said, this is, a, especially as the DNR clamps down here in Michigan, and I know they're looking, I think Wisconsin's the same way, and Ohio, yeah. and Indiana, and Illinois. You're really, the, the days of going out there and setting up a feeder and shooting off corn every, you know, twice a day is pretty much done in, in those states. So Yeah, it's gone the way of the dodo. So that's why food plotting is getting bigger and bigger every year. It just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah, and I can see where... If you've, and it really comes down to, like you said, cost. If I've spent the money to buy or lease property, improvements, whatever I'm doing to it in the effort of, of taking a big deer, then I would be nuts not to invest in building a good food plot system. And that's where I bring Scott in, or at least bring you in uh, and do something along that line. So it's really interesting. I'm, I've got to have to find myself a little, little area that I can practice with some of this horny buck seed and see right. how I do. Yeah, like a, if you got you know if you got any other questions on it, you know you can tell people you know they can get a hold of me or go to go to our website you know hornybuckseed.com, you know whatever. But uh, and then uh, you know um, maybe in the near future here we'll get back on and I can go into the mineral end of it and we can talk a lot about mineral um, because that's that's a whole other avenue that I think a lot of people uh, are missing. Really, right, so we can anybody listening can go to hornybuckseed.com. And the great thing is you've got your P.O. box and your phone number right on the front page top, or they can go right to the contact us or the dealers page. If you're looking for something maybe local, Doug's got all sorts of dealers listed off across a number of states. So uh, especially if you're in Wisconsin, if you're in Wisconsin, you're going to find this stuff pretty much local to anywhere you're at. Yep. And if you want to be a dealer and you're outside of this area, I'm assuming they just shoot you a phone message or shoot you an email and, and get the ball email, rolling that way. Just e- yep. Email me and let me know. And if you got any questions, like I said, I am more than willing to, you know, come and help you out or please answer your questions anyway. Fantastic. And then you've got an Instagram page. I'll have a link to that because there's some really impressive pictures on there. And for somebody that's not sure yet, because we really didn't go into all the seed and, and the different options, Go to uh, Horny Buck Seeds YouTube page, which again I'll have a link, and in the videos I think you've got twenty five, forty videos, something, thirty videos, something like that, and you actually have a little, well, roughly two minute item where you discuss every seed. Yep, every blend, kind of just a layman's term to help people to understand. Correct. Yep, and then. Uh, you talk about doing the testing, the the soil testing, and these aren't old videos. These are, for the most part, all within the last year. So this is all relative right. content, new content that people can look at. And uh, as it continues to grow, just follow it along because here's the future, folks. If you're used to tossing corn or a bag of carrots, those days are done. If you can get yourself yeah. some land and put the food plot in, and better yet, a piece of food plot near a water source, you're going to keep those deer right there and you're going to have the best chance of controlling from fawn to full grown what that buck looks like and, and harvesting the, it doesn't even have to be a booner. It just has to be a nice deer. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I always tell everybody shoot what makes you happy. You know, that's another thing too, that people don't understand. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, if you want to grow booners on your property, it takes time and effort. And I respect that. I get it. But, you know what? Shoot what makes you happy. You know, and and and, I, and that's why we hunt. We hunt for the sake of why we enjoy the outdoors. You know, so yeah. But I mean, I'll help anybody in any way I possibly can. And uh, like I said, um, 
I look forward to maybe uh, speaking in the future. We can talk on a bunch of other different things that we didn't even hit on here yet, but um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll help any way I can. Well, I really appreciate this time, Doug. And I'll, you know, again, I'll have all the ways for everybody listening to, to reach out to Doug, uh, to look at his product on YouTube questions you reach out to him directly uh, or any of the dealers i think can probably really talk quite well about it and and doug again i appreciate your time because to me as a complete novice having talked to scott and understanding a little bit about the land management he's doing this really ties in good and i think listening to this episode and then scott's episode or scott's episode and then this episode is really going to play into giving you a whole comprehensive view on land management Oh, awesome. Yeah. I mean, we're all about helping everybody. So hopefully people can take something from it and we can uh, fix your properties up so you can have what you really dream about having. Fantastic. I, well, again, I thank you for your time. You have a wonderful day. And if there's anything I can you know, do for you, don't hesitate to contact. Don't take a plan, Jay. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Come early spring, it's getting green Fisher on the bed And hear those turkeys gobble It's ringing in my head The winter rides bass boat Here comes another year Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Oh, we command the outdoors Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs. From early morning till real late, bonfires on the creek bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands The fever starts to creep Fill our freezers full of ducks Lots of tender deer Yeah, we command the outdoors around here Yeah, we command the outdoors Yeah, we So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here. We command the outdoors.